We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. And it hit me that... I had never seen the light come through the windows at 10 o'clock at that particular time of year. And I thought, I want to see this more. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. We have made it finally the games that count. Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I'm your host, John Little. November the 9th, 2021. It is finally here. Hundreds of college basketball games across the landscape for Division I teams. They're finally going to play those games that matter today. And I, I hope all of your favorite teams win. Thanks so much for joining us. And to get us started with the new college basketball year, a great conversation with Sherry Cole, 25 years, the head coach of the Sooners. What a career she had. And this is just an outstanding conversation. Just reflecting on her time at Oklahoma, reflecting on how difficult it is to win at the collegiate level in uh, Division I women's college basketball. Talking about when she knew that this was it for her. Just some wonderful stories from her career. And also we talk about what's next for Sherry Cole as well. Sherry Cole, our guest here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Thank you, John. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So what has it been like for you since you decided to step away from the sideline right now? Obviously, you'd be Preparing for the season. Uh, we're talking on Big 12 Media Day, in, in fact. You'd be, uh, you know, oh, really? lined up. Yeah, it, uh, you'd be really tied up right now. So what is it like for you today? Oh, it's been fantastic. I tell you what, I think, um, you know, you uh, life has seasons, and uh, I was ready for this season. It has been fantastic. I've been so busy. I don't 
I don't know how I had time to work before. Um, I have a brand new grandbaby that's seven months old uh, that I've been able to spend a lot of time with. And I'm getting to pursue writing and speaking to things that are that I'm passionate about. I have the freedom to pursue those. I'm doing a little consulting and um, a lot of uh, enjoying life and, and, and trying to operate at a little bit slower pace than um, the last 25 years. Absolutely. 25 years is, is a long season coach, or do you consider the, you know, talk about your, your new season now that's a long season, right? Um, but do you consider, you know, different eras of OU basketball over the last 25 years to be different seasons in life? Or was that just one long season wound up into a quarter century? Well, I think there were obviously different uh, eras within that, but for me personally, uh, being a Division One basketball coach, that was one season of my life and um, one that I enjoyed immensely and had a blast doing and feel so privileged to have had the opportunity to do, to be a part of that great university and to build that program and to enjoy the things we enjoyed and interact with um, the amazing kids, uh, student athletes, if you will, that, that cross paths with me during those years. So I just, I feel, um, grateful and proud and, uh, loved every minute of it, but it was time to do something else. Well, it just an incredible ascension from the head coach at Norman high and immediately jumping on to the head coaching spot at OU. And I'm sure you've been asked to reflect on this a million times, but that jump, um, you know, to try to make it today, I think would be a lot different than making it in 1996. Is that, uh, you know, just me uh, spouting off something I don't know about, or or is that is that correct? Is that um, a, a lot tougher of a transition today than it was then? Oh, it's much tougher of a transition today. Um, the playing field is different. When you think about what was going on in the landscape of women's basketball in 1996, that was the first year of the Big 12 Conference, and our women's basketball portion of that league uh, was a melding of the old Southwest Conference and the Big 8. And um, we were, just to put this in perspective, that first year uh, we were in a coaches meeting at the Broadmoor in Colorado, and we were being told that we were, we were going to get a TV contract and that we were all going to be guaranteed to have two games on television. And of course, this is my first, (laughs) this is my first foray into college coaching. So I thought it was really cool, but um, Jody Conrad and Marsha Sharp thought it was really cool too. And that sort of tells you where it was at the time, you know, that the salaries hadn't exploded. The platform of visibility for the sport had not been built yet. Uh, We were just on the lifting off on the wings of Connecticut and ESPN and that relationship that really, uh, exploded the the platform for the rest of the country. Uh, that was all just at, at at its very inception. And so I got in at the right time um, with the visibility of women's basketball now and the tremendously high salaries that are associated with it. Uh, no AD in his right mind would take the kind of risk that um, Donnie Duncan took at the time when he hired me from Norman High. I didn't think so, but... You know, I guess never say never, but still, my goodness, I I can't even imagine it. And, uh, you know, you think about all the growth in women's basketball over the years, 
let's talk about OU specifically. Um, when you got there, what was the budget like? I'm not necessarily asking how much were you making, but what was the budget like and the, the I, I guess, the structure and the uh, what you had to work with as compared to when you left earlier this year? Well, I can't I can't tell you what the budget was because I don't remember. I do know that my budget at Norman High School was seven thousand dollars and I had to uh, pay referees, order uniforms, um, uh, reserve buses, uh, everything and anything associated with my program. That's what that was. So um, that was like saying, uh, here's a nickel uh, compared to what I was dealing with at OU. And then if you look at what the budget is currently, compared to 1996 that's a nickel in comparison to what it is now so it has really really changed um the the thing for me um at that time what we had um we had enough we had the means uh to be able to do the things that we needed to do uh but we didn't have the facilities uh we didn't have um uh the mode of travel at that time um, we, in that regard, things were very, very different. I'll tell you a really funny story. The first, my first year at OU, we had, uh, we were playing in a tournament at St. John's in New York, uh, around Christmas. And of course this was a, you know, previously scheduled deal and we couldn't find a bus, uh, that fit within our budget. And that was available, uh, to take us from, the hotel to the games at St. John's and because obviously it's much more expensive there than here and multiple trips back and forth. And we probably truth be known, didn't stay at the most advantageous hotel in terms of distance. We didn't know what we were doing yet. And um, we ended up having to get limos. If you can believe this, like, oh my gosh. like, like stretches that would take us back and forth to the games. And it was actually cheaper to do that then get on a team bus. That was our very first big trip. And to think about that now, you know, we used to take vans to the airport and now, you know, it's a charter bus and has been for many, many years. But um, the mode of travel has changed uh, dramatically as have the facilities as the arms race has ensued in collegiate athletics. Uh, we were women's basketball has been and continues to be a part of that. So um, a lot of changes that go beyond um what the salaries were or just what your operating budget is specifically. And you went from, like we said, the high school ranks to not only the division one basketball ranks, but then in a matter of five or six years, all of a sudden you're, you know, near the top of the nation when it comes to what you're doing at OU and you form this, I don't know, this bond with your, uh, fans that was really, um, you know, kind of unmatched in this time for this region, for this Southwest region. What was that like as just, um, you know, this, this Crimson Army started to get behind what you guys were doing? Well, I think there were a lot of uh, factors that were responsible that, for that. First of all is the OU brand. You know, when when you can uh, go to almost any city in the country and and go to a sporting goods store and there's an interlocking OU on gear there, you know your brand has some magic. And that's uh, due in large part to the history of our football program, obviously. So there's a big brand. And I always said 
you know, if, if you if you go to Owen Field uh, on a Saturday afternoon, and at the time there were 82,000 people there, um, surely we can find five or 6,000 of those who'd like to come over and watch a basketball game. So you've got this already um, procured community, if you will, that loves the interlocking OU. They bleed crimson and cream. And so when you have that sort of brand identification and loyalty, all you really have to do is put forth a product that they can be proud of. And I think that um, Oklahoma fans felt connected to our players. I I always felt like they thought um, our girls were, were every man, if, if I'm using air quotes and you can't see me because we're on a podcast, but uh, they would see them at, at Target. They would see them at the movie theater. They would see them at the mall. They would see see them at Rusty's Frozen Custard. And they were normal young women who just happened to be really, really good basketball players. And I think the way that our, our teams uh, played together, I think the uh, selflessness which with which they performed, I think how hard they competed – I think how they obviously cared for one another and the strength of their relationships. I think all of that um, traveled from the court to the stands and our fans got um, locked into that. I think they appreciated it and they felt connected to it and uh, felt like the brand of basketball that we played represented who they were and who they wanted to be and what they wanted to stand for. And so I think it was, as most things that that work, ultimately, you can grind it back to, it was a fit. It was a fit. We played in such a way that they appreciated and felt connected to. And so there was this great, great synergy. And one of the neatest things about our fan base, this is one of the greatest rewards I have from years of coaching, is the fact that little communities were formed at the Lloyd Noble Center. Like, like if... Um, if the person who sits behind you isn't there on Wednesday night for the game against Texas tech on Thursday, you're calling to find out if they're okay. You know, like they're really taking care of each other and, and they're meeting for, for breakfast uh, on the day before we play at two o'clock in the afternoon. And um, it's just, it was a really, really neat, um, intricately woven connection of people that had such appreciation for um, doing things well. You got so close to winning an NCAA title. What do people not understand about how hard it is to win (laughs) a national title? Boy, what a great question. And I wish I could articulate an answer for you, but even as a player or a coach, I don't think you understand how hard it is until after you have done it. I will never forget uh, after our national championship game at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, where we played against Connecticut, I was walking down the hallway to go get on the bus after the game, hallway of the arena, and uh, Gino Ariema uh, yelled at me and said, uh, hey, hey, come here for a second. And so I walked back down the hallway. I'll never, ever forget this. I can see exactly where we were standing. And he said, um, you've done this pretty fast. and." Um, I'm just telling you, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And the great temptation for you is going to be, you're going to go out and get on that bus and think you're supposed to do this every year. And that's okay. You are supposed to want to do this every year, but it's a really, really hard thing to do. And you need to know that. And I remember that conversation and I remember thinking, okay, I get it, but you don't really. 
until you keep going and you see all the things that are aside from having a really, really good team, just all the things that can happen over which you have no control, no control. Um, I remember one year in the NCAA tournament, uh, we, we had a pretty good draw and stage was set to, you know, be able to get to maybe a, uh, an elite eight and see what happens. And uh, my entire team came down with the flu, every one of us, the week of the game. And so we got IVs going at halftime and, and we're just decimated. And if for that, who knows, maybe that year would have been a year. You don't know. And and I, it's just a hard thing to to explain um, what that NCAA tournament is like and how many things go into not just not just being able to have a good enough team to get there, but but the uncontrollable things that can be in a really, really good team's way or the real magic in a bottle kind of thing that can happen for a team that's maybe not quite as good. Uh, our, our 2010 team, uh, we were picked to finish fifth in the Big 12. And we went to the Final Four. It was when we had like two starters that were hurt, season-ending injuries. We had a walk-on who came in and played. We picked up a backup point guard at Christmas. Crazy things happened. And that team goes to the Final Four. So there are just so many unknowns. And I think it's what makes March Madness one of the greatest sporting events, if not the greatest sporting event in the world, because it's hard and really hard things are fun to be a part of and they're rewarding and people are drawn to them. Um, it's just, it's a tough sport, but man, how exciting, how fun and how rewarding. Absolutely. And and you think about that 2002 team, one of the things that's outside of your um, control is just the fact that you've got Chino R.A.M. on the other side, but then you got Sue Bird and Diana Tarazi <laughs> on the same team, right? And Swing Cash and Tamika oh Williams, and yeah, we could go on, yeah. And it, I mean, just how do you deal with that? As great as your team was, you know, how do you deal with that? And so we don't know then what we know now, the greatness of those players over the long term. But anyway, I digress. It's, it's pretty <laughs> incredible to think about. So the thing I did want to get you to reflect on is um the evolution of what we've seen in equality and the calls for equality when it comes to the ncaa tournament uh, you've been there time and time again um see uh, maybe uh, 19 20 times something like that to the ncaa tournament obviously there is a difference and there has been between the men's tournament and the women's tournament it, it what's the biggest spot where things need to improve now and um and where do you think it can be here over the next few years with some of these calls for greater equality well i can honestly say john that that in in my experience in in the 19 years of 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 nca tournaments that we were a part of i never felt slighted i i don't know if I didn't know what to compare it to. Um, I don't know if I didn't know what what was going on somewhere else. I I just always felt like we were we were treated very uh, well, um, whether it be um, quality of hotels, quality of venue that we played in, um, um, cities, and and how they rolled out the welcoming mat uh, to us. I always felt like it was a 
a tremendous experience. I really did. Um, now we weren't uh, in any sort of situations where we, what we saw this past year with, with COVID and, and the, the weight rooms and all that kind of stuff. We, that was never an issue. I always felt like we were, we were treated incredibly well, but one thing that we, we have to remember at, at, at some level is that, that the, the men's NCAA tournament makes millions and millions of dollars. And our tournament has not yet generated that it's continued to grow and it's getting stronger. Um, that is, that has to factor into the equation in that you just, you can't, it's not apples and apples all the time. It's not oranges and oranges all the time. We, we, the women deserve to be treated, um, obviously uh, in an equitable sort of way that we need everything that we need to be successful at those tournaments. And if you don't have a proper place to warm up or you don't have a, a weight room, that is not okay by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I think that um, in my, from my experiences, um, boy, we were always treated really, really well and had wonderful experiences at the NCAA tournament. I have, I really have no horror stories to relate. Uh, I've always felt like we were really, um, were really treated well. That's awesome to hear. And I love that, uh, that viewpoint from somebody who's been there over and over and over again. Um, and I guess we'll see where it goes from here. It's going to be uh, fun to see if it's already good, you know, how it improves. We're visiting with Sherry Cole, obviously, here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast, former head coach at OU. And you were talking about how, yeah, you've got some things coming up in your future, more speaking engagements, more writing. And so what kind of speaking engagements you do you in? I know you do a lot already all around uh, Oklahoma. You know, I, I'm sure you've you've spoken to about three million Rotary clubs and, you know, <laughs> Kiwanis uh, over the years. Um, uh, but where would you like to take your speaking career? Because obviously um, you're just such an engaging speaker and uh, there's a, a great future for you there. Where do you feel like your value lies there? Well, um, I appreciate that. Thank you. And and I, I think that we're at a really interesting time in terms of where our world is right now coming out of COVID. We've all landed on this um, comfortab comfortability with Zoom calls and um, people have not been able to gather and convene. And so uh, it's it'll be interesting over the next several months and hopefully within the next several months the virus dissipates and we get back to a form of human connection that I not only think is we prefer, I think it's necessary for our health um, truly uh, to be able to uh, interact face to face. And, and uh, as that continues to move back toward more toward what we refer to as normal uh, slate of business, everything from corporations to um, schools, I speak a lot to schools in the area whether it be teachers um, who are just a very uh, beaten up uh, section of our society right now. You know, you, you, you can look around and there are, are uh, uh, entities that are, are really struggling. Healthcare industry, obviously, um, teachers, public education, private education, higher education, because it's hard. It's been really hard to try to continue life as normal and business and productivity 
in the face of COVID. And so people are run down and beat up. I've, I've done a lot of those uh, and probably will continue to um, teams and, and athletic departments and uh, uh, coaches, uh, all audiences, women. Um, uh, so I, I, I do a lot of different ones for a lot of different uh, entities. And I think that's what I love about it is, is I don't have one message, one uh, canned speech that I take and, and throw it out to whomever uh, asked me to come talk. I really try to tailor what I talk about to the organization, the people within it, and the place that they are together as a group at that time. And that makes it fun for me. It makes it new and fresh and keeps me thinking and and writing and creating. And I love that. And if my experiences in some way, shape, or form can help impact people, then um, there's great reward in that. What about the writing side of things? What are you working on there? Oh my goodness. <laughs> You've hit my passion point right there. Uh, I have, I'm a former English teacher and um, have always been a writer since I was a kid. Uh, I've loved to write. I, I can't say that I've always been a writer, but since I was a kid, I've loved to write and always felt that someday uh, when the coaching career had run its course and um, I was ready for the next season, that that next season would have writing as a part of it. And that's the one thing that I've always kind of had out there and have been have been longing to do. And that's the thing that I have an opportunity to do now. I have time and I make time because it is a practice. That's what's really great about it, John, is it's so much like any discipline. If you're going to be a great free throw shooter, you go to the gym and you practice free throws. You make 200 every day and you'll get pretty good at it. And uh, writing's no different. You don't sit down one day and write a masterpiece. You go and sit down every day for a couple of hours and sometimes good stuff comes out and sometimes a bunch of crap comes out and you throw it in the trash can. That's just the way that goes. But that discipline process of um, kind of keeping the pump primed is something that I've enjoyed so much over the last several months. So currently I have a weekly blog that you can find at sherrycole.com. And um, it's just on whatever subject is on my heart at the time. It's really kind of all over the board. I've loved the regularity of that, um, the um, deadline that's associated with it, even though it's self-imposed, that I'm going to publish every every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. One will come out. Um, that's been really fun. I, a, as a coach, you can imagine, as a coach for a lifetime, um, uh, deadlines and pressure are part of what you do. So even if that's self-imposed, I've enjoyed having that. And then I'm working on a couple of different book projects and I'm excited about those. Um, I just love the process. I really love the process of creating and it's an, an arduous one and um, it's a little bit um, um, scary at the start because you really do open up a piece of yourself when you write. Um, from the heart and you write nonfiction, especially you're opening up a, a piece of yourself. So there's some vulnerability uh, involved in it, obviously, but um, I love the exploration. I love the creative process and I uh, feel the same way that about it, that I do about speaking that if it can impact and make any one person think or feel, then I feel like it's served its purpose. The bottom line is you're a communicator and I know I'm a communicator, but at the same time, I don't feel like I'm as good of one as I'd like to be. 
if you were to give somebody uh, me <laughs> advice, and I and hopefully this can help everybody, advice on how to be a better communicator, how how to more effectively not drive your point down somebody's throat, not beat your chest and make somebody listen to you, but just more effectively communicate emotionally and things like that. What what would you say to somebody? Well, the first thing I would say is be absolutely clear about what you want to say. I think with uh, in the writing world and in my mind, there, there are two pieces to it. You got to have something to say and then you got to be able to say it. So um, first of all, be absolutely clear about what it is that you want to say. And once you are, then figure out a way to tell it in a story. People remember stories. People feel stories. People react to respond to stories. So um, do that. Find real life experiences um, where what you want to say lived, if you will, and share that with people. Uh, I don't think it's about uh, tremendous vocabulary, though that can surely help. Um, I think it's more about knowing exactly what you want to impart and then doing so in such a way so that the listener can remember it. So tell us a story. Um, <laughs> let's go back to um, the the time at which you knew it was just that the end of the um, uh, the the season of life uh, as the as the head coach at OU that it kind of run its course. You know, twenty five years. There's a lot of synergy there. Twenty five years, two hundred and fifty wins in the Big Twelve, five hundred wins overall. Was it statistical? Were there other things at play for you? Um, what kind of stories come to mind when you think about just the realization that, yeah, it's time? Well, the story went like this, and it has absolutely nothing to do with statistics. I could never remember how many games I'd won, what the final score was, or who shot what from the field. I was the worst with numbers. Um, but this is the honest truth. I was walking down the the hallway of my home, Um, During COVID, you know, we're all uh, spending so much more time at home than we ever have before. And uh, my home has a lot of windows front and back, almost kind of transparent. And uh, and and I was walking down the hallway and um, I remember stopping in front of my entryway and thinking, man, I love how the light comes through these windows. I love this house. I've lived in my home for 33 years. Okay. Um, And it hit me that I had never seen the light come through the windows at 10 o'clock at that particular time of year. And I thought, I want to see this more. And that was that. I made the decision that day that this would be my final year. And I didn't tell anyone at the time not even my husband or my children that day, but I knew in my heart um, that was going to be my final year. Wow. That's amazing. And it, all it took, and all it took was light and all it took was, uh, you know, was just, was, was noticing the beauty that you hadn't noticed there before. That is awesome. Well, what um, I, I was curious about this. Um, I, I know you don't want to be a, a shadow lurking over the program, so to speak. But how involved do you want to be in uh, OU women's basketball down the line? I'm not talking about, you know, meddling in anything, but just as a, a legacy 
figure in that organization and somebody who's been a part of it for 25 years. How do you envision that happening down the line? Oh, I envision that it's a lot like raising children. I have two and they are grown and um, you, you have them in your home with you and you're caring for them and you're guiding them and you're, you, you have your arms around them, metaphorically speaking, nonstop. And then they go to college and you still love them and you care for them and you want to support them and you're there to help them. But you got to back up a little bit and let them do their thing. And um, I, I think that that sort of feels like this season of life for the program that um, um, it's it's going to take off and do what it does in its own way now. And that's great. And I'm here if they need me and and uh, will come in a moment's notice if there's anything that I can do. But I think the program needs space. It needs space to spread its wings and become what it's going to become. And and uh, I think through the years, as and Jenny's been fantastic. I do want to say that. She has been terrific. Uh, we've um, broken bread together on a number of occasions. And uh, uh, she is so welcoming and um, so the opposite of intimidated, whatever that would be. Um, in terms of my interaction or involvement. Um, so she's been fabulous. And and I just feel like that there will come a time after a, a couple of seasons pass where um, uh, it will be a little bit easier to be more closely involved. Um, I feel like right now they just, um, the kids and uh, the program itself just need a little space. And so I'm the cheerleader from afar uh, and and here if they need me, but definitely in their corner. That's awesome stuff. Well, we're still going to call you Coach Cole because that's <laughs> uh, that's all we can do. We can't uh, get out of that uh, that that sort of um, uh, that sort of habit. But we really appreciate your time here on the show, Coach. Uh, so incredibly honored to be able to talk with you after your um, awesome career at OU, and now we're looking forward to the. What the, what the next season holds, what the next uh, part of your life holds, and we'll certainly be keeping up. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate you having me on and appreciate the uh, platform that you provide for women's basketball and all that you help, uh, all that you do to help the sport itself grow. And you're talking about it regularly, as you do, um, really does. It, 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 it fertilizes our, our, our sport and, and the profession and um, the opportunity for young women to compete at the highest possible level. So thank you for that. That is the great Sherry Cole here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Thank you so much to Coach Cole for joining us. Can't stop calling her Coach Cole. We'll still call her that on down the line. Just one of the great people in women's college basketball. And again, on this opening day of the season, I hope that your team wins. And just more than anything, and just be thankful we get basketball today. The announcer on the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis. Our music by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com. And Aaron Barzilai is the executive producer. I'm John Little, your host, reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Her Hoop Stats.